The word of our Lord from the epistle to the Philippians. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but, in, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, to remain also in the flesh is more needful to you. Being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you, with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that in rejoicing for me, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in, in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that is from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Let's pray. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to keep ourselves and to help ourselves. We pray that you would keep both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversaries which may happen to our bodies and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt our souls. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. We've been talking about Cruciform, and um, as we approach during this Lenten season the the cross of Christ, it's helpful to think about the cross in a more um, in a more in, in, intensified way than than we typically do. To think about what it means that Christ bore His cross, and to think about what it means that He died upon the cross, and to think about what it means to to bear our cross as well. We've talked about cruciform love and we've talked about what it means to have our identities becoming cruciform. And this morning we're going to talk specifically about cruciform living. What it means to live a life that is shaped by the cross. And what are some of the characteristics of a life that is shaped by the cross. Paul is a a prime example for the church of a life that is lived in conformity to the crucified Jesus. In fact, he told the, the Galatians... He said, look, I've been crucified with Christ and and I no longer live. He says, but actually, as I do live, it is Christ who is living in me. A very concise way of talking about this cruciform living. 
But here when he's writing to the Philippians, he's writing as one who is in bonds, one, one who is in chains, one who is in prison for the sake of the gospel. He refers to himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And here he talks to the Philippians about how they also participate in that bond servanthood as, as they, he says, has been accounted for them the opportunity not just to believe in Jesus, but to also suffer for him. Paul is a great example, a great example of one who lived a life that was conformed to the image of the crucified Christ, shaped by the cross of Jesus. What does it mean to live a life that is cruciform? What are some of the characteristics of cruciform living? Cruciform living is characterized by boldness and audacity. Cruciform living is living with self-abandonment. Paul speaks of having no fear in death, but also he seems to claim no rights in life. He calls for the rights of others and he, 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 he fights for others, but Paul seems completely abandoned to himself. And that's a bold and audacious way to live. He tells them specifically, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I love how bold Paul is when he's talking about what he's going to choose. He, he talks about whether or not he were to depart or stick around. And he, it, 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 it's like Paul, Paul seems to be talking as though God is leaving that choice up in, his hand, up in his hands. I don't know. But he says, well, I could go and be with Jesus, which would be far better for me. But if I were to stay here, then it would be to your benefit. I could continue serving for you and see fruit in your life. And you know what? I'm pretty confident that's what I'm going to do. Paul is very bold and audacious. Because he's living with complete self-abandonment. He's living without fear, but with confidence. In Christ. You know, the cross itself is a symbol of boldness and audacity. The cross is shocking. The cross is an object that is driven into the earth and raised toward heaven. The cross kind of interrupts the chasm between heaven and earth. It interrupts all things. It interrupts the ground. It tears into the ground. It interrupts the sky in spreading its arms through the sky. It interrupts our lives with its boldness. It interrupts reality itself. The cross is not just a, a sweet symbol. It is bold. It is hard. It is firm. The way that God would redeem His people is an audacious way. And that boldness and audacity drives Paul to live with complete self-abandonment. 
And it drives him to live not with fear, but with confidence in Christ. Paul has a number of things that he could fear, and those are things that we ourselves could rightly fear. He speaks of death. Death is a thing that, that, that drives fear into our very souls. Death and loss. The great unknown. He speaks specifically of his enemies, or he calls them his adversaries. And he mentioned them just prior to this passage. He talked about how there were some who were preaching in order to, to kind of rub salt in Paul's wounds. You know, he's imprisoned. He's unable to share the gospel as he, as he was accustomed to. And there are people out there preaching. And, and I don't know the whole story behind it. I don't think any scholar knows the whole story behind it. But Paul says that these people, some of them, are preaching out of envy and spite. And they're, they're trying to add on to Paul's afflictions by their way of doing ministry, by their proclamation of the gospel. And you know, his conclusion is simply, so be it, as long as Christ is preached. It would be reasonable to fear one's enemies. To fear one's adversaries. It would be reasonable also to fear suffering. Paul is writing as one who is suffering. And he's writing to those who he says it's appointed the opportunity for them to suffer. We often fear suffering and conflict. We fear pain. No one likes to hurt. We fear rejection. And all of these, all of these enemies, death, loss, the unknown, enemies, adversaries, suffering, conflict, pain, rejection, all of those are represented in the cross. In all of its boldness, and all of its audacity, in its interruption of our lives, in its interruption of, of heaven and earth, the cross that is driven into the ground and raised up into the sky pulls all of these things which could call fear into itself. And the cross is able to transform. The cross is able to transform our suffering. It redeems. It reconciles. It, it, it pulls us out of those things that could cause fear for us. It, this is beautifully, beautifully illustrated in a, in a hymn that Paul it quotes or, or, or crafts in, uh, in chapter 2 when he talks about how Christ poured Himself out, made Himself as nothing. And that he came and he humbled himself. He came in the likeness of a man and he died. And he died not only a death, but he died the death of the cross. And he says that God has raised him up and highly exalted him because of that. And for us to live lives that are conformed to the image of the crucified Jesus. For us to live lives that are shaped by the cross. We must be prepared to live lives that are bold and audacious. Not just colorful lives, not just happy-go-lucky lives or go-get-em type lives, but sometimes lives that are filled with suffering, but can approach it boldly and defiantly. 
Not in a way of saying, you will not cause me to suffer, but in a way that says, you will not crush me despite my suffering. Because I serve and follow a Lord who has been through suffering. He is able to use suffering to to change lives. He is able to use those things that are our enemies to show His greatness and His redemption. Cruciform living is characterized also by purpose and mission. Unfortunately, I don't know whether I should say many or most. I would tend to say most, but I don't know what all the numbers are. I'll be honest with you. But I do know that many, many Christians do not live with a sense of direction or vocation in their lives. We just kind of eke our way through and hope that somehow God will do something decent. We're not asking for much. We don't want to do anything great or grand because we don't want to be that bold or audacious. But Lord, will you at least do something decent through me? But cruciform living, living that is being conformed to the image of the crucified Jesus and is being shaped by His cross is living that is done on purpose and on mission. It is living with a sense of direction and a sense of vocation. Now you might hear that word vocation and think, well look, I'm not called to be a vocational minister of the gospel. I haven't been called to be a pastor. Or I haven't been called to be a missionary. I haven't called to, been called to, to, to do that sort of thing. God hasn't called me vocationally. But there are a variety of spheres in life that we live where we can live with a sense of direction and vocation, a sense of purpose for the cross and mission for Jesus. We like to divide up our our lives into categories and think about our church life and our family life and then we've got our work life, maybe our school life, our friend life. But the cross is able to sanctify all of life. It's able to pull all of life together where where there is no definite separation between spiritual parts of our lives and secular parts of our lives. I understand some of us work, most of us work in secular jobs. We work for corporations or or small businesses or, you know, we, we make coffee, we clean floors, we do all sorts of things. And we might think of those as, well, that's secular. But God is the God who is able to bring back the secular He is is the God who is able to redeem that which seems unspiritual and use it for His glory. Not just having a business that's known as being a good business, but also as being a co-worker who's known for being a good co-worker. One that works with integrity. One that works with with, uh, stability and faithfulness. Again, the cross is able to sanctify all of life. He's able to work all of those different spheres of life together into a beautiful tapestry 
that reflects the cross, that is shaped by the cross. When Paul is talking about what his what his future might be. And he's talking about whether or not he were to depart to be with Jesus, which he says would be far better for himself, or whether he's going to stay and continue to minister to the church and bear fruit in their lives. He's talking from this sense of direction and vocation. He sees his life as not an end in itself, but as a means toward the end of what God wants to do in his world. He's living for the sake of others, not for his own sake. Again, he's living with with that self-abandonment that comes through a bold and audacious embrace of the cross. But that causes him then to live in purpose and to live in mission. He sees all of life as an opportunity to pour himself out before God and his church. He sees the Philippians not as people who happen to believe like him and who one day he'll get to see in heaven, but he sees them as his very own kin, his very own family, his very own loved ones, people for whom Christ died and people for whom Paul is willing to die. Because he's living on purpose and in mission. There is a a fire in his belly, not just to preach the gospel, but to live for the sake of others. And he wants to see great things being done for others and in others and through others. And if he's able to be a vessel of that, he is willing to be. And glad to be. Even if it means neglecting himself. He does say it'd be better for me to go ahead and be with Jesus. That would be a joy. But he says, I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to wait. If for your sake, my living on can be advantageous. You can't separate this sense of purpose and mission, direction and vocation. You can't separate that from his life of self-abandonment and his confidence in Christ. That boldness and audacity, they are inseparable. And cruciform living is marked also and characterized by and evidenced in hope and confidence. Paul is living with a sense of destiny. He is living with definite hope. He knows that if he were to leave this earth now, he would be with Jesus. And he is confident in that. Now, hope is a, a tricky subject because typically when we hear the word hope, we think wishful thinking. Man, I hope it stops raining soon. Well, it may or may not, but your hoping for it doesn't affect it one way or the other. You're just wishfully thinking. 
Boy, I hope I win the lottery. I got a couple of tickets. Boy, I hope one day I can visit Italy. But hope in a biblical sense, it is, it is not wishful thinking. It is a, a, a definite confidence that we have now because of what has happened in the past. And it's, of course, directed toward the future because when we talk about having hope, we're talking about what might pass or what should pass or could pass. And so we're talking about the future, but we're looking toward the past. You know, the the Israelite people in the Old Testament, when they spoke of the future, they, they, they had the image of backing their way into the future. Because their eyes were directed on the past. Their eyes were directed toward remembering. And all throughout the Old Testament, you have God commanding His people, remember, remember, remember what I've done for you. Remember that you are the people that I brought out of Egypt. You are the people before whom I parted the seas. You are the people that I've rescued. You are the people that I've called to be my very own. You are my people. You are the people of the covenant. And so their minds are directed toward the past to remember what God has done for them. And it's out of that sort of context that God encourages them to trust Him and to have hope for their future. And so they're backing their way into the future, looking to the past and what God has done and how faithful He's been. And Paul says that he is completely confident That God is going to use his life for his glory. His hope and his confidence is tied up with the life that is to come. But it's tied up also with the life that is before him. Paul cannot, will not separate the two. Even when he's talking about the possibility of heaven. He's talking about what, what he's got left to do on earth. And so he's living with a sense of destiny and he's living with expectation of what is to come. Cruciform living. Is characterized by boldness and audacity. It is characterized by purpose and mission. It is characterized by hope and confidence. And if we could just have a fraction of those things that Paul had, just a fraction of that boldness and audacity, a fraction of that purpose and mission, a fraction of that hope and confidence so that we could get beyond just making it. Just getting through life as people, as family, as a congregation. If we could begin to yield ourselves so much to God 
that we will be bold enough and audacious enough to trust Him. To abandon ourselves and march toward the future. To rush toward it. Because we know that we're going in purpose and mission. And it's because of that that we have hope and confidence. Then we would be amazed by, our minds would be blown away by what Christ is able to do through us. If we will but yield our lives to be shaped by His cross. The cross is uncomfortable. The cross is not easy. And unfortunately, we too often and too much like comfort and ease. But the cross is driven into the earth and it is raised up into the sky and it welcomes us and invites us and interrupts our life and calls us to come and to have our lives shaped by it. To come and to begin living in a way that reflects the self-abandonment of the cross. And if we can get to that point in our lives, like Paul, our confidence in Christ will be so much so that we will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is using us for the sake of His cross. That God is using us to transform the lives of other people. Cruciform living is not about just making it. It is not about just existing another day. Cruciform living is living that is abandoned to life itself for the sake of the cross. And it may bring suffering. It often does. And our suffering might be as harsh as Paul's or comparatively it might be as light as those of the Philippians. But Paul tells them who are not in jail that they've been afforded the opportunity to not just believe in Jesus, but to also suffer for Him. But cruciform living is what will change the world. It is what will change our communities. It is what will change our lives. And through our lives, 
will change the lives of those around us. May our lives be shaped by the cross. Let's pray.